Hello and welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. Have you ever felt outnumbered? Or have you ever felt like the odds were stacked against you? This can happen in sports sometimes. I was on a softball team years ago and we had entered the lower division because we had some beginners on the team, uh, myself included. <laughs> and uh, one night we got matched against a team that did not appear to belong in the lower division. There were a bunch of really big dudes that were just crushing every ball that we threw at them. It was, uh, we, could, we couldn't get a pitch past them. Uh, and it was, you know, they just were sailing the balls into the outfield beyond us, we're running all over the place and they're just casually trotting around the bases. I'm not gonna throw out any accusations, but I would have to guess they were not using regulation bats. You can shave softball bats where you, you take the cap off you hollow out the inside and that makes more of a trampoline effect with your bat. And uh, those are illegal in the leagues, but you can't really, uh, they don't really get routinely checked. So we're, we're just getting demolished by this other team that clearly have been playing for years. And it was like, why even try? <laughs> oh, if you've ever been in that position, you may have felt the heart and the fun of the game just drain right out of you. Today we're starting a new message series called Battleground, and we're gonna focus on some key strategies needed to press forward in the face of great opposition. You might not be facing some tough opponents in sports, but maybe you feel outnumbered or you feel overwhelmed in different areas. Maybe at work with all the, all the things that you've gotta do, or relationally or at home, or even with your emotions, maybe you can feel overwhelmed. We find ourselves in different mental battlegrounds from time to time. I'm Bruce, I'm the lead pastor at Valley Lights, and I'd love to get a chance to say hello if you leave some contact info. In this new series, we're gonna follow a young green warrior who gained position of high leadership after his old mentor passed on the baton to him. And we're gonna look at some of the hard but really valuable lessons that he learned through the experience on the battleground. He was given an unbelievably huge assignment. It, it almost doesn't seem doable what he had to do. And he wrestled with some strong feelings of doubt and discouragement. He met with some incredible opposition, some from within himself and some from forces outside of himself. And our goal today is look at the best way to respond when we're faced with what appears to be an insurmountable challenge. We hit moments in life when we get threatened with intense discouragement. You might call it different things. You might say that you feel really depressed or you might describe it as feeling daunted or downcast or dispirited. However it looks and however you describe it, it looks it kind of varies differently from person to person, but God has given each of us some core responsibilities things that we're responsible to do and things we're to carry in life. And if we don't keep a firm grip on those things, we go slack-handed. Discouragement can set in and at that point, things can really fall apart. Every decade of life that passes, things get more complex. Life gets more complicated. And when you're young, you think, this is as complex and complicated as it'll be. I mean, high school felt very difficult <laughs> and challenging. 
And then you get to college and you realize, no, this is the busiest I've ever been. I have so much going on. Life is very complex. And then you get out and you get married. Maybe you have a kid and all kinds of additional heavy responsibilities in life create more complication. And our capacity needs to grow for carrying bigger, heavier responsibilities in life. Fortunately, the Bible gives us the guidance that we need so much to handle this well. So the key figure that we're going to be following in this series is Joshua. And we're going to pick up on his story to when the leadership of the entire nation of Israel is handed off from Moses to Joshua. And here's a photo. This, is, this depicts a ceremony that may have occurred from Moses to Joshua where he became the new leader. Joshua was formally recognized. Um, although he started out as an assistant to Moses, really since he was a boy. And he spent a lot of time learning from this wise old sage, this experienced leader. And he watched as Moses led the people of God through some huge challenges. Joshua gained some field experience in one of their battles. He did some important recon mission work. And uh, really, he was successful in those things. And some of those initial assignments showed that Joshua could be trusted with responsibility and he trusted God wholeheartedly. And those are some good things for a leader. Eventually, God told Moses, your time's about to expire and it's time to bring up the new guy. And so God told him in Deuteronomy 3.28, he said, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. He's going to need it. <laughs> encourage and strengthen him for he will cross over ahead of the people and enable them to inherit the land that you will see. So, Joshua is about to get a massive assignment. He's going to be the new leader, and he's got to be the guy that leads the people into the new land and establish Israel so they can flourish as the people of God. And uh, God picked out this new land. It was called Canaan, but it was already occupied by a lot of people, a lot of groups and cities and uh, nations that were very opposed to God, very opposed to his people, very opposed to God's ways. And these would become the enemies of Israel that needed to be conquered. So Moses finally finishes up everything that God gave him to do. And here's what it says about him. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Amazing. And even more amazing, it says his eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. He's a strong old dude. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There's nobody like this guy. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do. So this is the seasoned old mentor and leader. These are huge shoes to fill. So this is the guy that Joshua gets to replace. And uh, oh, by the way, Joshua, your very first assignment as a leader, launch a military campaign to take possession of this ancient Palestinian land. Are you ready? And at the beginning of the book of Joshua, in fact, there's a book in the Bible called Joshua. It's all about his life and his journey in this role. God speaks directly to this young green warrior. And he says, and it says in Joshua 1, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. So here's Joshua, 
looking on the edge of Canaan. Maybe he's up on some hill somewhere just overlooking this vast expanse of land. Some of it populated by enemies, some of it just probably barren and deserty. And uh, this is going to be the new home for God's people to live and to grow. He's standing on the edge of a huge, daunting assignment. This is far more than anything he ever had to do as an assistant to Moses. So I would imagine with his heart thumping in his chest, Joshua may have been thinking, oh my gosh, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, do we have enough men to do this? Do we have enough weapons? And we have to do this whole thing on foot and carry our whole nation of people and dogs and men and women and children with us. Just before he launches out, God gives him a, a command. It's a, it's a simple, ageless command that has been repeated by many people over the centuries. And they're, they're really instructions from God to Joshua. And if we read them and take them to heart ourselves, they give us a sharp fighting edge as well, whenever we're standing on the battleground. The next words from God are a huge help if we would internalize them. Because there's times in life when we slam into moments of discouragement or fear or anxiety or the weight of responsibility on us just feels crushing. And we can be like Joshua, standing in front of Canaan with a whole landscape of cities to conquer and no idea how to pull it off. In the face of some of these strong emotions, God speaks to Joshua and he says, Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. And then he repeats it again. Next verse, it says, Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you will have success wherever you go. God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Sounds like something good to tell somebody going into battle. And it's repeated a handful of times. It's actually, God says this four times in this first chapter. Actually, just in nine verses. And it was mentioned three times in the previous book of the Bible in preparation for the assignment. So you get the picture. This idea of being strong and courageous, whatever that means, is a very important thing. Uh, it's not just a general well-wishing, I hope it goes well for you. It's very specific and important for us to grasp. In the face of discouragement, be strong and courageous. What does this mean? Well, the Hebrew word, this book of the Bible was originally, the original language thousands of years ago, it was Hebrew. And the word be strong comes from the word hazak. And what it means is to get a strong grip, especially on your responsibilities. In a sense, it means to steal yourself, get a grip. Joshua is not going to be very successful if he has a weak grip on what he needs to do. It's kind of like Let's go back to the softball example. <laughs> Imagine you've got a softball bat, and here's even a picture. Uh, you need a tight grip on that thing. If you're going to make good connection with the ball, you need to swing that thing and hold it tight. I don't know if you've ever played with a battery, a racket or something, and you've had a weak grip, and that ball comes sailing in. Especially softballs are pretty big, and they're kind of heavy. And if you're just holding it kind of loose and you smash into that thing, it just rattles your hands. And who knows where the ball's going to go? It's weak and pathetic. <laughs> And to get a strong grip, practically speaking, we can ask ourselves, what do I need to get done today? How do I get a strong grip on that? 
what is it going to take for me to finish this up? We need to get clear on our responsibilities at home or at work or wherever in our relationships and really go after it. The next thing God tells Joshua is to be courageous. Now in Hebrew, this word courageous comes from the word amatz. And this has the concept of having a real firmness of mind and will, having a strong resolve and determination, especially if circumstances or feelings are otherwise. So really courage, what that means is, is to act with firmness regardless of feelings. It's really easy to be led by the way we're feeling. And I, I, don't, I don't feel like it. I don't feel courageous or brave. And for Joshua, here's what it's, basically this means, that, hey, listen, even if you're scared spitless and you don't think you can do this, you must choose to act with courage. It doesn't matter how you feel. In fact, you're probably going to feel fear and like the world is coming apart, but you cannot respond to that. Here's an image of what this could look like. Here's a, here's a little kitty in front of a whole bunch of German shepherds. This cat knows how to choose courage in the face of danger, regardless of how it's feeling. You can see the relaxed nature he has. I don't know if you've ever had a line of German shepherds staring you down, but in a funny way, this is what it could illustrate to take courage. Reading on, we see the reason that Joshua can be strong and courageous God tells him, haven't I, haven't I commanded you? This is another repetition. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Here's why. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You're not doing this alone. It may feel like it, but you're not. Knowing that God is with us is one of the biggest sources of courage that we could find anywhere. It's not like we take courage because we've overcome the challenges or they're gone or the troubles are gone. No, maybe the troubles are still there, but we take courage knowing that God is standing there with us. Also, since God has said, don't be afraid or discouraged, we can know that moping around or slacking off in discouragement is actually a sin. It's out of bounds for followers of Jesus Christ. We can't, we can't do that. That's, that's unacceptable. So these are some of the instructions that God gives before Joshua launches out. And as you read on, you can see he did a fairly good job in getting everybody prepared. The very first city for them to conquer was Jericho. And this was very strategic. Jericho was in the center of Canaan. And uh, I have a map, but if you look at where Jericho is, it's, it's kind of in the center. And they would, victory here means that they would set up a centralized point where they could launch attacks in the surrounding area. Battle with Jericho was hugely successful. It's, it's a very interesting battle story you can read in um, the first few chapters of, of Joshua. But after the win, here's the result. In chapter 6, it says, And the Lord was with Joshua, just as he promised, and his fame spread throughout the land. So, great! Joshua is probably thinking, this is a great start. Thank you, God. I'm, I'm really getting the hang of this being strong and courageous thing. I'm feeling good. God clearly fought for us. We didn't lose anybody. Hey, we're all still here. And news of the Israelites spreads. Starts uh, creating discouragement in the people around them. So they move on to the next city, and things don't happen quite the same way. In chapter 7, we see that Joshua sent men from Jericho, where they just conquered, onto Ai, another city, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted it out. 
They did a little recon, tried to get, assess what the next battle would look like. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, don't send all the people, but send about 2,000 or 3,000 men to attack AI. Since the people of AI are so few, don't wear out all the people there. So his guys are saying, hey, listen, we got this. First battle was great. This should be a piece of cake. Let the other guys have a barbecue. Fire up the grills, and we'll be back before you know it. So about 3,000 men, here we see in, in chapter 7, verse 4, 3,000 3, men went up from there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them. Okay, so now people are dying, Israelites. And chased them from outside the city gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, check this out, the people lost heart. That's a good way to describe discouragement. This was a severely unexpected result. This was not supposed to happen. Next week, and we're going to look at the reason why this happened. There's a very important dynamic at play. But Israel is defeated by this tiny city, which is a complete surprise. So how do you think Joshua responded? Mr. Strong and Courageous. Well, it says that Joshua tore his clothes and he fell face down on the ground. He slopped into a puddle on the ground before, before the ark of the Lord until evening, as did the elders of Israel, his, his leaders, his leadership crew, they did the same thing. They put dust on their heads, a sign of just mourning and humility. O oh Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan just to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. So, Mr. Joshua has lost heart. He's giving in to the discouragement. And because of it, he doesn't even realize what he's saying. He's calling into question the very assignment that God has explicitly given him. Go, moving into this land. He's, he's almost criticizing what God is doing here. And we do this sometimes too. Sometimes we forget the very tough responsibility or challenges in our plates was given to us by God. And sometimes we forget that God actually allows or even designs the difficulties that we face or the responsibility. Sometimes we say, God, why? Why, why did you put me here? Why do I have to deal with this right now? Or why did you give me this meager salary? Why can't I get something better? Or why are my kids sick? Why is it so difficult to relate peacefully with my spouse? What, what are you doing here, God? It used to be easier. It, things would, have, would be better if it was like it was before. Sometimes we think that. That's what Joshua was saying. And he's got to remember, he's only in the second city in this campaign. This, city, this is stop number two, and there's many more after this. He does not have a firm grip, and he's not acting with courage despite the feelings of fear. This is often an experience that we have. We get struck with moments of severe discouragement, throw a pity party, and things occur that we lose heart. And if you were to analyze things whenever discouragement settles in, and I don't know how often you experience it, for me it's actually pretty routine. In fact, most mornings I wake up feeling like I've already got two strikes against me. And I've got, I, have, I really have a, a mental battle to fight to get myself back on track. If you notice a pattern, there's this natural progression, and I call it the three-point attack. In fact, this, I got this from a mentor of mine. 
we're actually we're, we're under attack when discouragement sets in by an unseen enemy. And the first attack is discouragement. It's when we lose heart, we lose our sense of initiative and resolve to move things forward that we need to. The emotions are strong and they're very hard to ignore. There's a lot of doubt. Man, what I, what I have to do, this is too big. This is too hard. I don't have enough time. I, can I even do this? I can't even do this. That's the, that's the first angle of attack. Second, uh, we start slacking. We go slack-handed. We lose that strong grip. And once we're discouraged, we, we often stop making forward progress. And I, and I say, I just feel so overwhelmed. I, I don't even know where to start. Instead of that strong grip, we get a sense of futility. Like, why, why even try? What, what's the point of this? I, don't, I just I feel so apathetic. If you're in a place of apathy, then you know you're already, you're already into stage two here. I don't want to clean anything. I don't even care anymore if anything bad happens right here. <sighs> Sleeping in, I, I'm just going to go to bed. Or I'm going to, I should wake up early to exercise or get my work done, but I don't even care. Actually, that's, that's common for me. I, when I get discouraged, I just, I just want to give up and go to bed. And then the third angle of attack, the third point, it's like a one, two, three punch. The third strike, and this one can take us out, is indulgence. We, we decide to indulge ourselves. We're going to go outside of God's guidelines and violate his commands. And we would say, if, if life is just going to bring disappointments and discouragement, why don't I just do what I want to do anyway and at least have a, good, a little bit of a good time? And we're tempted to indulge ourselves. It can, be, it can be sin. I just indulge the way I'm feeling and I just react and get all moody and uh, harsh towards people in my life. Or I indulge in pornography or other sins. Or the thought comes, you know, I'm already slacking off anyway. At this point, it doesn't matter. I just want to feel better. We might indulge in some other kind of distraction like social media or games just for a second. Just I'm going to play first and I'll, maybe I'll get a grip later. And at this stage, we make the problem way worse. The problems multiply. And the worst part, this can turn into a cycle. I was already feeling overwhelmed by my life, but now I've got, I'm really discouraged and ashamed of where I'm at. And that leads to more slacking, apathy, procrastinating, more indulgence and excusing the sin. I might as well. So Joshua freaks out and he calls God into question. And he's on the floor with his clothes torn and even leading his leaders into discouragement. And also, do remember, they lost 36 men. These guys died, which means there's wives and children that daddy's not coming home. That's actually pretty significant. That is severe loss. I, I would imagine, I mean, I feel like that's maybe an excusable thing to get discouraged about and really worn down. Sometimes I get discouraged when my actions lead to, to problems for other people and it spirals and that does happen. I mean, but I've never had anything like this and it's amazing the way that God responds. Actually, it'll, it, it's kind of like a slap in the face. <laughs> Joshua 7.10, the Lord then said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? It's like God saying, you have a job to do. Get a grip. After that statement, God fills Joshua in on that reason why they lost. 
and outlines the plan for getting it solved and how to deal with it. But God still fully expects that Joshua is going to move this thing forward. What if God was saying something like this to you? This stand up. Why? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever slouched into a puddle or just get mopey or you just throw your hands up. What if God said, stand up? What are you doing on your knees or on your face or on your bed? And we might ask our, and, and I, honestly, I've, I've been in that place many times and actually more in recent years, the more, the older I get. We might ask ourselves some questions. What, listen, what big responsibilities has God given me and how am I handling them? Am I choosing to be strong, stealing myself, like a sense of commitment to get it done and being courageous regardless of how I feel? Or is discouragement threatening my resolve? Am I going slack-handed in, in any area of my life? And there's three common scenarios where courage is especially required. Uh, often we need courage when there's fear and we're not sure about the future. There's, possib there's possibly some damage or some pain or loss coming and I'm not really sure. There's, there's things I don't know and I can't quite control the outcome. Another area where we need courage is when there's hurt. We experience some awful pain or loss or damage. We lose something or we lose someone. Or maybe the hurt was damage done to us by someone else. Could have been unintentional or it could have been malicious. In the moments when we're hurting and it's hard to even see the next step forward, we must choose to press forward while hurting. And this is really hard to do. And then third, we need courage when there's challenge in our lives. When the responsibilities on your plate may already feel insurmountable and then stuff just gets piled on. More challenge, more assignment, more responsibility. Many times very hard things come at the moment the mission needs to move forward. You may be in the midst of one of these scenarios. Throughout life we ought to expect discouragement to strike. And choosing courage means doesn't matter how I feel. I can't wait till I feel courageous. I must take it. I must take courage. Grab it. We have to watch out for those thoughts of self-pity. We have to watch out for that urge to bail. Sometimes the feelings of discouragement linger for a while and sometimes it just goes on. It's, it's daily or routine or prolonged. What does it look like to get a strong grip? Many times it's just doing the next right thing. We can take courage by doing the next right thing. At the end of a long, discouraging day, the last thing in the world that you want to do is clean up a messy house. <laughs> or maybe the next right thing is just washing a dish. A massive assignment at work. You can ask, what's, what's the first step in this project? Joshua had a whole landscape to conquer, but he had to do it one city at a time. Another way we can get a strong grip is to memorize Joshua 1.9 where it says, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We can recite this verse and remember that he's with us. That's powerful. That's such a powerful thing to keep in mind. In fact, there's a band that puts Bible verses to music and this song and the album that it's in has been an anchor for me over this past year. And if you're curious to check it out, uh, look up the song, Be Strong and Courageous by Seeds Family Worship. It's been such a help to me. And third, ask a wise person for advice on getting a strong grip in an area of my life. 
What's amazing is that Joshua eventually internalized the command and he passed it on. After finally defeating Ai, the next battle involved an even larger enemy, a merger of five kings that came together to stop Israel. And under Joshua's strong leadership, God gave them the victory. And here's what it says in Joshua 10. When they had brought the kings to him, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel, and he said to the military commanders who had accompanied him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So the commanders came forward and put their feet on their necks, and Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord will do this to all the enemies that you fight. Joshua clearly internalized it and was ready to pass this on, this way of living. Shows tremendous strength and courage, especially confidence in the Lord. Imagine what it would be like to have a strong grip in the core responsibilities of your life. Imagine attacking the things on your list with strength and steel. Imagine that when discouragement strikes, you're not phased by it, but you're able to push through. In the next few weeks, we'll continue to follow Joshua as he learns other valuable lessons about pressing forward on the battleground. God told him, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God spoke these words to Joshua, and I believe he speaks them to us today. Let's pray together. Father God, these pages of scripture are full of hope. Your words to us are life-giving, and they fill us, your words fill us with courage and, and the desire to walk, to walk in your ways. You clearly worked powerfully through Joshua, and he found success as he trusted you. And we sometimes hit moments of discouragement, and we sometimes struggle with slacking and indulging. Would you help each of us to take courage today and this week, even in the face of strong emotions? Would you give us, Lord, the discernment to clearly see what's the next right thing for me to do? We absolutely need your help to persevere and succeed. God, you, you supply the strength and the refreshment, the perspective, and the truth that we need to endure. And God, you're good. You are so very faithful to us. Every good thing that we experience from you this week comes from your hand. Thank you, Father God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you next time.